Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your host. I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Jeremy Blair. So, uh, Jeremy, how was your trip? You went on town list. Uh, I this did week. yesterday. It oh, was yesterday, just a day yeah. trip. Yeah, <laughs> I just went to Lubbock, saw saw Dad. Um, his wife's birthday is today, so happy birthday, D. Uh, but I saw her. Obviously, I, I got her a couple records uh, for her birthday. Nice. Um, and Vinyl. then I saw some buddies. So vinyls all uh, always a good present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. Um, she started playing vinyls in her office at work. Nice. And people have been really digging that in the office. I mean, uh, if so. I could do that, I would 100% do that, but uh, I can't do that at, at, at my job. Bummer. Because. Well, can you, like, can you play jams, like, over the loudspeaker or something at the store? Uh, Yeah, th- but it's already preset. What? So, yeah. You can't choose the music? No. If I would, I, I would. Uh, and before we get into the episode, you know, I know we've mentioned it on the podcast that you and I are both uh, fans of a lot of different types of music. I just want to talk about this just real quick. Here we go. Um, if anyone hasn't already, <laughs> you should definitely check out Father John Misty. Um, have you heard any of this stuff? Yeah, I uh, I looked him up uh, when you texted, and uh, it's not my type of music, but I... Um... I listened to all four of his albums back to back to back to back. Yeah. Uh, I dig it. It's it's weird. It's original. It's like folk combined with psychedelic rock. Yeah. And uh, I think, I mean, this is a cop out because this is one of his highest rated albums, but I think everyone should listen to I Love You, Honey Bear. Okay. Um, I think it's, I think that's, I wouldn't say his best album. I think Pure Comedy is his best album. Wow. Hot take. Um, but I don't know. I, I dig it. Um, and of course, that's not his real name, by the way. Oh, it's not? Um, he said on uh, on uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers a couple of years ago that uh, when he had a little cameo appearance in Hotel Artemis, Seth was like, oh, are you credited as Father John Misty? And he was like, what kind of egomaniac would I be if I made everyone call me that? Uh, because... Yeah, it but, it is sort of a it, it's a, quite a stage name. Yeah, when I told mom about him, uh, she was like, "So is he like a Christian or something?" I'm like, <laughs> "That's what uh, my buddy Kale always says." If he, <laughs> it's a it's a joke that he likes to do that I love, where like let's say, "Hey man, have you heard of uh, like you heard of Disturbed?" He goes, "I haven't." Are they Christian? <laughs> and so he'll <laughs> he'll always tack on the. Are they Christian? Well, th- this time she was being serious because, well, you know, with, with someone of the name of Father John Misty, you mm-hmm. would think that it's maybe gospel music. But, I mean, and, I mean, he works in some gospel uh, and pure comedy. But anyway, just, you know, we, we give a lot of film recommendations. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to give uh, a quick little music recommendation. Uh, I love you, Honey Bear. Uh, it's great. Um, hmm, I haven't heard of it. Is it uh, Christian? uh anyways so if you listen to our episode last week uh good episode by the way yeah i went pretty well i really enjoyed it yeah um we're technically gonna be discussing two movies in a way in a way let's lead with the older one really uh, a trip to the moon i lead with that one i want to lead with that one because i think uh i think Cause I'm not, cause that's how I did it when I did my rewatch. I watched uh, a trip to the moon first, okay. and then watched uh, our episode today, Hugo. 
Um, oh, by the way, we're not superimposing anymore. No, now, yeah, now it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're now, not going to do this often, but look, oh, oh whoa, look at that. That's I, nuts. I, <laughs> we're such children. <laughs> well, it's very exciting. My arm's not going to disappear well, if I touch and, you the know, table. We could kind of sometimes maybe put our drinks over here now. You I don't know? want to, but you know. I like that. There's an option to do that, but yeah, because uh, before, I mean. Actually, we could have gotten away with it the last time since... Oh, that's a really good You couldn't point. have seen it. Yeah, we could have put our drinks there. I don't know why we never did that. Oh, but well. uh, as I may have mentioned this before, but when I showed Dad the... the uh, One of the episodes. The YouTube, yeah. I was like, you know, we've started superimposing the posters on there. He goes, well, I wouldn't call it super. <laughs> <laughs> Just go, imposing the yeah, poster there? Right on, because he's exactly right. It looked... Awful, uh, but this will be much better. Yes. However, I'm not going to be able to go look at this image on the I can't because I can't see it. It's uh, green. So, well, they don't know that it's green. Oh, you do now. It's green. <gasps> uh, the movie magic, guys. Uh, yeah. Now we can't wear the shade of green anymore. That's fine. I don't really have any green shirts like that. So, no. and pa- St. Patrick's Day is already gone. So, yeah. so we're good. Yeah, we don't have to worry about it. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, because that, 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 that's how I did my rewatch and. It made Hugo make not more sense seeing a trip to the moon first, but I kind of understood more having seen the full movie. Of course, the movie is only 15 minutes long. Not even. Yeah. Uh, And then watching a a historical fiction through the lens of a child. Mm -hmm. So it just... I mean, if you don't want to lead with a trip to the moon, we can always circle back. No, it's fine. We can talk about a trip to the moon. Uh, so, so, trip to the moon, uh, nineteen oh two, by I do you pron- I know how to pronounce his name, but is it is it just George or George? I, I would say George. George Maliès. Yeah. And yeah, they seem to pronounce the S because uh, I think I thought about that because I would say Malier for a long time, but it's, it's not, there's no T at the end, Um, which is the traditional French for, you know, it's the silent T for like uh, ballet, buffet, you know, gotcha. (laughs) Those are the only two examples I know. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know what buffet is French. (laughs) I mean, croissant is French. Uh, anyway, uh, we apologize to any of our French audience out there. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> our our one French listener. Do we? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Um. So Jeremy. Yes, sir. You being the 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 film history buff. Uh huh. How many movies had he had done before this? Before, I mean, it's tough to say because um, uh, there was a lot lost, right? Right. Um. Once he had to stop making movies. Um, but if we want to, you know, like make just a general average, there was about, it was over 500, um, from 1896 to 1913, I think. So he was fast and furious. Yeah. But of course, you know, during this time, uh, you know, movies didn't take that long to. I mean, not necessarily his did before this, you know, with like Lumiere uh-huh. And Edison's team; these guys were just documenting real life, right? The, it was documentary style before that word existed, and so like the the uh, the train arrival, right? Right, it, which is mentioned in Hugo. I do have a little bit of a problem with 
um, saying point blank that people were scared in the theater because I've also been told by instructors and professors that that's not true. So I don't know what to believe. <laughs> um, just but just making a blanket statement that they were afraid they were going to get hit by a train is kind of ridiculous because um, I, I, it's hard to explain. But, you know, I, I would like to think that, yes, it's this brand new technology that no one's seen before, but I think their brains will understand that train's not actually coming at me. You know what I mean? Number right. one, it's in black and white. Number two, I just saw them set up the projector. So, um, Right. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But, you know, I've been told that wasn't necessarily true. It's a it's a fun little, you know, uh, it's part of the, you know, lure of uh, new cinema. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, so right. George was hot, uh, fast and furious. Dude, I mean, he made so many... A Trip to the Moon is one of the longest ones. Usually they're about three minutes long. Or, really? Or, yeah, they're not that long. Well, and again, that goes back to my whole, you know, during this time of movie making, uh, there was no big time in between production. No, I mean, no, all you like, have to do like is... Like once you're done, it's edited, cool, let's make another one. Yeah, and it, you, you kind of saw a sort of snapshot in the movie of what that editing process looked like. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, I mean, it didn't take that long. Right. Right. Um, I think the hardest part would be concept and execution with the set. Right. right. That would take the longest because all of it was hand painted, handcrafted. All of it is, you know, mm -hmm. built and then had to be taken down. Right. And then so. especially with George's, uh, films, they were all, uh, the, the frames were hand painted to, yes. to have it in color. Right. So when people say, when, when was color introduced into film? Technically always. Right. Um, it's just now we have more sophisticated ways of doing it. Right. It, you know, color cameras didn't start recording color. Right. Until much later. But, right. uh, but having color in film is, you know, not new. Right. As soon as people realized what they could do with this camera they were like hey we can add color to it right yeah um for more fun <laughs> yeah uh and so so this film a trip mm -hmm. to the moon mm -hmm. um this was the first time i'd ever seen it okay and i i really enjoyed it for a silent film mm -hmm. with no dialogue cards you understood oh i understood what the the film like what was happening in the film yeah this group of scientists want to go to the moon so they build a rocket <laughs> to shoot to the moon or more like a cannon i should say yeah. uh they built a cannon to shoot a small team up to the moon mm -hmm. and uh, then they encounter moon men yeah because they're not really martians right but, right and then they come back to earth and that's it ta-da that's 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 the plot. Yeah. But I, I think what what sets it apart is the design of how it looks. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing about Malier's stuff is while others were doing documentary style, just documenting everyday life with mm -hmm. these cameras, he was more interested in telling stories. And right. where we've had storytelling before up until this point, he was more focused on fantasy, sci-fi, horror, right? Fairy tales, mm -hmm. right? Bringing these to life. Right. Um, very theatrical type stuff, which makes sense because he was a magician. Mm -hmm. And so 
theatricality was kind of in his blood. And yeah, and it almost seemed he was destined to to become a, a filmmaker because of being a magician. He knows how to fool people. Yeah. With illusions and tricks. And not only that, but it takes dedication. Mm -hmm. And it takes a different wiring in the brain to be able to understand both how it's done and how it looks. Right. Right. So as soon as he realized that in a film that he made, there was a hiccup, meaning there was a jump. He goes, oh, wait a minute. If the camera jumps like that. It's almost like, you know, something disappeared and something reappeared, right? Mm-hmm. And so then he started fiddling with, you know, he built his own cameras and he would, you know. Um, then he started realizing not only can I make something disappear and reappear, but I can also double expose. I can also, you know, mm-hmm. uh, join to, there's a, and I think they show it in Hugo where he's throwing his head up. Uh-huh. Um, in the uh, the music scales, yes. Um, you know that's incredible. You yeah. know, um, yeah. For the fact that he realized, not only can I just throw my head up there, um, but I can do it more than once while keeping my own on the ground. Right. right. Um, which is incredible. I mean, it's it's it takes real creativity for that. Oh yeah, and 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 the fact that he knew how he could edit this all. Back in the 1900s, is also a feat in a, in and of itself because you know films, you know the kind of like the golden era of Hollywood didn't have those kind of editing tricks and no. and things like that, and that was well into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like people knew, like okay, this right, is how we shoot right, a right, film. Right, right. This is you know, and the fact that he was doing that pretty much on his own. Mm-hmm is a testament to itself uh it it lends so this type of editing style or the type of creativity in the editing Mm -hmm. um doesn't really lend itself to stories that were being told in the the 40s and 50s right Mm -hmm. Uh, chaplin used some stuff with his um with his films uh i know so did buster keaton so did harold lloyd uh, who we see in the film uh, in Safety Last, where he's hanging from the clock. Yeah. Um, so the silent film era, especially with comedies, the they would use some of those tricks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, afterwards, once we get into talkies and once we get into different types of films being made, it's sort of you know, yeah, out the window. Yeah, and so, and so the so the other reason why I wanted uh, us to talk about this one is because. This film especially plays a very integral plot point in Hugo. Yeah. Um, it's almost like this film is a character of itself. You know, we have Hugo, we have Isabel, we have um, George himself, and then it's almost like a trip to the moon. Oh, and I'll spread the automaton, but a trip yeah, to the moon is also a character because it almost comes up everywhere throughout the entire movie. Right. Um, so I guess with that, we'll transition into Hugo. Hugo. Uh, based on a book, The Invention of Hugo Cabret is the book. Um, I might put a picture up of it. Oh, okay, great. Maybe. Look, a picture. Ah. Um, I'm kind of, before we really get into the movie, I'm kind of glad that Martin 
didn't give it that full title. I feel like Hugo was just very to the point of... Yeah, I guess. You know. But, um... So, before we really get into everything, when was the first time you saw this movie? It was probably when it came out. Because I I don't think I saw it in the theater, but definitely I saw it when it came out on DVD or whatever. Because I I saw Scorsese's name on it. (laughs) That was pretty much all it was. I remember when this film was announced, and I was like, "Mm, that seems kind of like a really strange kids movie yeah and of course this was during that whole era of 3d overload yes it, this was <clears throat> in three even but however even james cameron says this is the best the, 3d yeah. <laughs> that he's ever seen <clears throat> i did not see it in 3d so i don't yeah i neither have i uh so i wouldn't know either and then i remember hearing like yeah it's from martin scorsese and i was like is it I'm like what <laughs> yeah I'm like is this film PG-13 secretly or oh no it's PG okay was De Niro in it (laughs) (laughs) is he killing someone yeah uh yeah so I I had the suspension of disbelief that like there's no way Martin Scorsese did a kids movie Mm -hmm. no way and then so I didn't see this movie until up a few up a few months ago oh uh, back in October of last year is when I finally kind of sat down and watched it and I just loved it yeah so much it was funny it was dramatic, you know. It's an adventure. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, oh, and by the way, hey, Baz Luhrmann, this is what CGI looks like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, uh, that opening shot of the, it's amazing. the clock melding into the city of Paris. It said it took them like months and to render it. And even just the opening, you know, like flowing tracking shots, mm-hmm. you know, where it catches up with Hugo as he's running through the station and... Through the clock gears and workings, um, that's what CGI looks like. And uh, <laughs> shout out to our uh, Greg Gatsby episode. No, not shout out. <laughs> so upset um, because this movie came out before that. <laughs> Boz Lerman's gonna <clears throat> have a comment on the video. Like, how cool. dare you? That'd be cool. <clears throat> and you know what? How dare I? How dare you, man? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the first time that Scorsese has ever used straight digital across the board. So yeah. this is digital filmmaking um, from start to finish, which I, you know, I really didn't like when other filmmakers would sort of put down digital filmmaking. Uh-huh. There's a great documentary called Side by Side, and it's about the um, the move to digital filmmaking versus versus cellular. film. Right, right. And uh, it's hosted by Keanu Reeves, and he goes and he talks to a lot of people. Love that guy. And so there are people out there that just, I mean, don't, you know, will refuse to work with it. One of those is is um, Tarantino. Tarantino refuses. Yeah, and uh, Nolan, too. All of yeah. Nolan's films have been celluloid. So, I, you know, and they're just like, that's not movie making. I go, but yeah, but have you seen these? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. But, um, and I feel like it, you know, it takes a director one time using it to be like, okay. Yeah. Maybe because, you know, as soon as like we talked, um, at length about how much we love David Fincher and, Mm -hmm. um, as soon as he made that switch, he's never gone back. Uh, -uh. see, I feel like some directors will do that. They won't go back or they'll toy, go back and forth. Like, uh, Spielberg does Mm -hmm. that war horse was his first entirely. We're going to get back to you. Oh, um, yeah, because we're not going to stay on Warhorse for much longer. I promise you. Uh, was but it was his first entire digital film, 
and he's kind of con- like then I think he did it again with uh, Ready Player One, but oh, okay. I know he's kind of gone back and forth. Yeah, I just never liked the well, you know, I get tradition, but also, I mean, digital allows you to filmmaking isn't. You know the the act of making films should uh-huh. really be traditional, not necessarily. <clears throat> Sorry, everyone. Yeah, that's what makes it filmmaking, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and even though I love uh, films that have been filmed on celluloid, it's with, with digital filmmaking, it allows you to not necessarily do more, but you have a little bit more freedom because you know. It's not going to be a hard fix, like adding in visual effects and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, anyway, I, that anyway. was just to say that no, I no. love the visual style of Hugo. Oh, yeah, yeah. The visual style of Hugo is amazing, you know, especially Martin's use of uh, miniatures, uh, almost sort of stop motion at there one point. There was that stop motion with the, with the mouse. Little, yeah. The, yeah, the wind-up mouse. And then the miniature of Hugo's Nightmare of the Train uh, mm-hmm. crashing through the... Like, that was a miniature. Yeah. Very obvious miniature, but it, I was like, I still love it. I think that's it. sort of a, a nod to, you know, Malier, because Malier's would um, use stop motion in some of his stuff. And mm. it, it's just the, he would do anything he could to tell a story, right? Right. So he would use these multi, um, I would say multi-medium, but I mean, it would, you know, he's using all these different techniques in one movie. Right. Right. And I think that was what Scorsese was trying to do. Yeah. I mean, as as you mentioned, uh, I want to say during the um, the season four series, season four was, yes, season four was the our, our Martin Scorsese marathon. Yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned that, not at length, but a good majority of that. And, and as we mentioned last week, uh, no one but Martin could have done this movie. No. Because I've, you know, I've heard people talk about Scorsese mm-hmm. in, in interviews and things like that. And they're like, no one knows more about film history than he does. Right. And um, I love getting to see him have the opportunity to tell Melies' story. Mm-hmm. Right. And to be able to visualize that story uh, in his own way uh, with the flashback sequence. Right. Yeah. Um, and getting to build that you know stage and the you know the greenhouse looking thing and Mm -hmm. um getting to revisit some of these things that he has probably seen a million times and you know like getting to see what it would look like behind the scenes uh, right of of Uh, some of of that stuff right right yeah and and i think what makes this movie work is not only do you have a director that is so passionate about its subject matter but the story is technically being told through the lens of this little boy mm-hmm. who doesn't really know who this guy is no, and it, gets yeah, yeah. wrapped up in this mystery and uncovers i mean the reveal is phenomenal so yeah we don't i i was trying to explain this um the plot to someone yesterday um and i intentionally left the reveal to the end right right I just said he's a grumpy old guy who works at the train station. Well, and and that's you know what it starts off is right. He's just this uh, this very sad, grumpy guy who works at the toy store, right? Yeah, and uh, that's who he is until that automaton 
draws uh, that that picture. Yeah, right? the 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 poster of a trip to the moon. And then once they go to the library, we and I forget this actor's name. He's so good. Oh, um, because he's in everything. Um, I looked it up because I wanted to be able to say it. Yeah. And I it. Pfft. Well, there it goes. Um, so he's in everything. Yeah. Uh, if you've at seen, least in the past few years, he was in Boardwalk Empire. Right, which is probably why he was in this one. Um, uh, he was in Men in Black Three. In my opinion, he was the highlight of that movie. I saw it once. Um, but you know, he's been in. Um, he was in A Serious Man. He was, mm. I believe, in The Shape of Water as well. He was in. I mean, from the past. I don't know, at least five years. He's been in, I don't know, like a hundred movies. I don't know. He's, I want to say so his last time. name is like Stahlberg. I don't know why we're trying so hard. Uh, yeah, Jeremy's got his phone right next to him. And you know what? Now with the added addition of this green screen, we could probably just have a picture of him. What? Um, but we're really pushing the envelope here, man. I know. I know. God. The, this is a very meta episode. Yeah. The 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 magic of making movies. <laughs> That's right. It is uh, the magic of making movies. You're exactly right. Um, but yes, no, I love that guy. I love him so much. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Michael Stahlberg. See, I knew Stahlberg. I remember Stahlberg, but yeah. I kept second second guessing myself on his first name. But no, yeah, love him so much. Um, even for his brief time in the film, he he's almost playing Scorsese, right? Yeah, uh, someone who is just so giddy about film history and filmmaking mm-hmm. and getting he's almost living vicariously through this fictional character of getting to meet one of his heroes right right yeah yeah because i actually had to look it up for the episode uh the character he's playing if he was a real actual french film historian and now he's not he was right either yeah. a character in the book or a character made for the movie and I, you know, that's that's like me making a movie where someone gets to meet Charlie Chaplin. Right. right? And I would get to live vicariously through that character. You know? I could definitely see that because, you know, how how the character, because I remember the character's name, uh, Rene Tabard, I think is how you pronounce it. But anyway, Rene is the character's first name and he almost kind of ha- handles himself kind of like Martin Scorsese a, a little, little bit, bit. <laughs> you know. Um, and how he talks about how George is a passion of his and, you know, one of his first playbills and, oh, look at this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, it, you know, a guy, you see now you say it, it makes more sense that it's almost like a young Scorsese getting to meet mm-hmm. someone he's wanted to meet forever. And never got the chance to. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And the film, speaking of cast members, the film is full of these amazing Actors and actresses. Oh, and little bitty parts. Uh, fans of Harry Potter will yeah. recognize quite a few people. <laughs> yeah, at least three. Yeah. Uh, uh, Uncle Vernon mm-hmm. plays uh, a man called Monsieur Frick, who doesn't have a lot of lines. I think the most he speaks is like towards the you end know, of the movie. You know, it reminds me a lot of um, a little bit of Hunchback and a little bit of Beauty and the Beast. So... When Hugo is looking out at the sea of people in the train station, it's uh-huh. almost like when uh, uh, Quasi Quasi's is... looking at the streets of Paris. Shout out to our conversation with the five-year-old uh, bonus video. Audio only. Audio so... only. We apologize. The, the video file got corrupted. But you can still listen. Now I can put a little thing up there. Oh. Click that uh, to listen. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Where he's 
and then we we go through a lot of the the town. It might also be Paris and uh, in Beauty and the Beast when uh, yeah, Mel is right. Okay, um, <laughs> okay. So I guess it definitely is like that because uh, <laughs> I I had to have that like spelled out for me uh, a few years ago because I I hadn't never known that Beauty and the Beast took place in Paris and then someone was like the opening song starts with them saying bonjour and I'm like <laughs> I'm like do you think that doesn't a- mean it has to be Paris I'm France like, it could be anywhere. Do you think uh, eight-year-old Rain knew that that was France? No. That's anyway, funny. yeah, so it would be exactly like both of those movies. Okay, so it's exactly like that, um, <laughs> except just in a very confined train station. Right. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the other Harry Potter character we have is Madame Maxine. Um, I actually don't know her character's name in this. And then we get Narcissa Malfoy mm-hmm. as... Um, uh, oh God! Oh, she's George Melier's wife. Oh my God! I forgot she was not. I I like Boardwalk, uh, not Boardwalk Empire. I'm sorry. I, I like um, uh, Peaky Blinders a whole bunch. Oh yeah. And she's the the matriarch uh, in board in <laughs> in British Boardwalk Empire, <laughs> which is Peaky Blinders. <laughs> but anyway, that's how I recognized her. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So at least three Harry Potter uh, uh, actors and actresses. Um, we got your guy. Uh, Sasha Barakon. Yeah. Uh, I wondered if he'd actually grown that mustache for the movie. That'd be cool. He probably could. Yeah, I bet he could. I mean, I bet he grew those mutton chops for Trial of Chicago Seven. You know that's right. Um, we got uh, we got Emily Mortimer, and a I very love Emily Mortimer. Uh, very little role, but she again, much like with uh, Michael Stahlberg, she kills it. Yeah, and Emily Mortimer had just done Shutter Island oh. uh, with Scorsese. So she was probably like, just give me something a little small, please. Yeah, and Ben Kingsley as well was in that. Also. Yeah. Uh, and then we got uh, Christopher Lee, R.I.P. <sighs> Christopher Lee, man. Um, I read that him and Martin had been friends for years. Yeah. And when fought Martin, but they'd never done anything. And then when Martin was like, hey, like, would you like to work on this project I'm doing? He's like, yeah, it's about time. And he you called was, me. He was the only actor, and this happened also in in Lord of the Rings, where he was the only actor alive while um, some of the main characters were alive. <laughs> so, oh yeah, because uh, he was alive when Malier was still alive. <sighs> and um, in Tolkien, he had actually met Tolkien when he was a kid. No, shit. yeah. So um, we will do the Lord of the Rings, everyone. Get ready for that. Yeah, the the eight day. Uh, yeah, eight day long, cut. non-stopping. Uh, we're gonna keep recording all three. Yeah, of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's wild, man. So yeah. So Christopher Lee is. I guess what I'm saying is he was a thousand years old, and when he's he died. a fucking legend. He is a legend. You know, uh, R.I.P. He will yeah. be missed. Um, sure. And then we got uh, Ace of Butterfield. Yeah, um, I I'm trying to remember the other stuff I've seen him in. I know he's on that show. You like uh, Sex Education? Yeah. Um, he was in that awful, uh, also with Ben Kingsley, awful version, awful, uh, uh, um, he was in another adaptation, there we go, okay. uh, another book adaptation, he was in that awful adaptation of uh, Ender's Game. Oh, I didn't see that. I refused. Okay. Uh, the book is phenomenal, and uh, just from the first trailer, I was like, this looks so wrong, I'm not watching it. 
Um, Asa and Chloe Grace Moretz is really good. Uh, oh this. yeah, and this uh, was a year after she had done Kick Ass. Okay. So I guess her agents was like, "We need you to do something where you're not calling people cunts." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we we saw that at the drive-in uh, when it came out. <laughs> uh, shout out to us being friends forever. Uh, yeah. So we um, I'm trying to remember if because she also was in. Uh, let me in, which I which I don't care for because I love the original so much. I've let the right one in. Right, right. Um, yeah, you've told me that numerous times. Okay, well, it's great. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I mean, we got all these phenomenal actors, actors and actresses. But... Yeah. Oh, and we forgot the most important one, Sir Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Uh, I love him just as much as I love Michael Stahlberg. Uh, Ben Kingsley is the man. Even with their fake out reveal in Iron Man three, he was still amazing. Uh, as, he was a lot of fun in Iron Man three. Yeah, as this bumbling, uh, drug addicted actor. Yeah. He, he, he was amazing. And Ben, don't die anytime soon, please. Oh, great, cool. I guess we're doing please that stay now. alive for a thousand years. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, Martin couldn't have picked a better cast and it should be this. said for now that i i have not read the book neither have i and so i don't know if these similar themes are in there but i let's get right into just the oh the story itself we're gonna do i'm just gonna do a quick oops i forgot this early oh, that's uh, jude law is also in the movie. oh yeah that's right jude law said <laughs> it for like two seconds uh, <laughs> anyway okay so so i want to talk about just the story itself because okay. um so hugo's purpose or at least his personal purpose is mm. to fix this automaton yes right? um that it's one of the only things he still has connecting him to his father jude law jude law and who dies literally like four minutes into the movie yeah he's not even he's in the movie for like two minutes and that's, he's i think he's literally credited as father yeah yeah, yeah. and like, that, that's it. i think it was supposed to be a reveal i think that it was jude law because i don't even think he was in the trailers or anything like that um but so he's trying to fix his automaton, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's really it's really interesting that we're trying to put something back together mm -hmm. because really we're we're also doing that for Georges Maliez. We're trying to piece him back together. We're trying right. to reignite his self worth, which right. we talk a lot about self worth in our Birdman episode. <sighs> Um, Shout out to our Birdman episode. And so with this one, he's sort of, he's sort of lost, you know, his his spark, mm -hmm. right? And I think this sort of uh, this rediscovery and this newfound appreciation for who he is um, is number one a a non-existent thing that happens in history, in real history. So this right. is sort of a. Um, well, it's, uh, the book is considered a historical fiction. Right. So. so this is sort of a, you know, an apology and a rightful um, appreciation or a rightful respect for this man who deserves that and much, much more. Oh, right? absolutely. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed the, the fact that that's, that's what everybody's doing. Everybody's trying to put something back together. Yeah. Uh, in a way. Yeah. You know, Hugo is... As you said, you know, he's trying to fix the automaton because it's the only thing he has connected to his father while simultaneously not knowing it, 
fixing it for George. Yeah. You know, we have, we have Sasha Bear Cohen who is trying to regain some of his humanity from the war because he's got a limp and he's got a brace and he keeps getting it caught on things. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't feel his value anymore. Just to sum it up, you know, because I'm not going to go through every character. You said it perfectly that everyone in the most of our characters in the film are trying to rediscover their self-worth. Yeah. And I really also like that the automaton is this sort of engineering feat, right? This, right. Uh, this really unique piece of machinery, mm-hmm. which reflects what Georges did with filmmaking, right? Right. As, as well. Like he would, you know, uh, like we said about the editing styles, he would try and, you know, his his narrative styles and his building his own cameras, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not on accident, right. right? That all of these things are in this story. Right. I don't know how the book is, but I, I would like to think that it's probably exactly the same. I want to say so. Like, I, uh, I Is did... it a picture book, by the way? Do we know that? <laughs> no. Okay. It so is. It's a, like a book book. It's a book book. It's, it's it. a it's a, like a young adult book. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, because I, I I listened to a little a little sample on Audible last night, uh, because the ending made me think that they were directly reading from the book. You know, uh, with, oh, Chloe, yeah, yeah. with Chloe's inner monologue. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, so I was like, is that how the book starts? And no, oh. or at least I don't know because I just listened to a sample. So. Got it. But anyway, um, yeah, I would hope that I, I would. You know what? Like we we're kind of talking about off camera, uh, off camera and off mic. I would assume, with how much respect that uh, Martin had for the the source material, that I would assume he tried to keep it very faithful and very, you know, yeah. Because uh, as we kind of talked about before, or at least I hope we have, or I'm just gonna look like a dunce, uh, you know. Every uh, adaptation has to have some kind of, you know, they have to yes. change certain things. Yes. There are some, though, that get criticized for doing it perfectly. I've seen that before. Really? Yeah, where it's huh. an absolute perfect adaptation of the book. People still complain. So huh. everyone's always going to complain. Yeah, no one's ever going to be happy. But anyway, I, so like I said, I, I would assume that Martin probably, you know, kept it very faithful, uh kept the same themes in the film uh and stuff like that but um yeah you know it's you know we're getting this view of the world and it's something that i like this we're getting this view of the world from this little boy like we're seeing the world through his eyes Mm -hmm. which you know we mainly see the inner workings of the train station and you know, he Hugo makes a really good point where he talks about how like, you know, everything has its perfect purpose, so I can't be a spare part. I have to have some sort of purpose, and it's, right. I don't know. It, it's sad that a he's probably eleven, eleven year old boy thinks that, but right. yeah, you know, and very wise. Well, and of course, it it mirrors exactly what. George Malleus is going through, mm-hmm. right? 
um, he's lost his purpose and therefore he's, you know, this quote spare part. Right. Um, yeah. Just kind of, it's hard to describe where George is the film, like emotionally, you know, he right off the bat, cause the film opens with it. He immediately doesn't like Hugo. He wants Hugo to stay away from him. Yeah. Um, because he's you know stealing parts yes yeah, that too right. uh but you know it's <sighs> well and and you kind of get it because it's not like you know this is the only thing he has left mm. and it's being ruined right right by this kid mm-hmm. uh, who has no idea who he is and it, even if he did it wouldn't matter right Right. Uh, Cause even he doesn't like when we get that reveal, when they get the box and it falls and all of these, uh, all his drawings, right, and... all the concept art, all of the, the stills and the, you know, scripts and whatever. Um, and he's petrified that someone's found it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might also be because he doesn't want people to feel bad for him. Right. Right. Yeah. He doesn't want pity. Right. Which kind of goes into, as Hugo and Isabel learn who he really is, they have no pity. They want him to see how loved that he is and how, you know, like when they try to get Professor Renee to like, like, do you want to meet him? Yeah. Like, cause they know, or at least Isabel knows that like, okay, if you're saying all this wonderful things about him, if you were to meet him, I bet that would make his day. And then we get that reveal like, oh, well, I actually already have met him. And it's, it would be like, now you've already given that example. Never mind. I was okay. going <laughs> to, I was going to say it would be like, you know, if, if we were to meet one of our heroes, but you gave that example that Martin is essentially through the character of Professor Renee, you know, he's using this character to help our main protagonist re-spark right. George's purpose. And right. it's... It's just... It's really good. Like, every part about it's good. It's... It's something I should point out. Uh, this doesn't really pertain to anything to plot or anything like that. But uh, the film doesn't film like a, feel like a kid's movie. No. Which, no. I, which I appreciate. Yeah. Like, most, most kids' movies... Or family-friendly movies feel like a kid family movie. This movie doesn't talk down to anybody. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's sort of the crowning achievement. Um, Looking at you, soul. Yes, soul. Oh, my God. No, that movie's awesome. Yeah, that movie's great. Uh, but no, yeah, you know, no, nowhere in the dialogue do they try to kid it up for you. Yeah, no one's pandering to anybody. Yeah, you know, even, even with a lot of the uh, subplots... Of like with Sasha Baron Cohen trying to admit his feelings to Emily Mortimer, it doesn't feel forced. Uh, of course, there is that whole joke that I didn't catch the first time watching the movie, of when he's talking to the police inspector. He's like, "Well, are you sure it's yours? When's the last time you had relations?" It's like, "Oh wow, we 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 went for it in a kids movie." That's funny, but I think it's because kids probably wouldn't. Have no, and you know, again, I think it's due to Scorsese being yeah. Scorsese, right? I mean, he's not gonna—he doesn't know how to make a a movie that talks down to anybody, right? 
right? And so, I mean... He's not going to spoon feed kids. Like, no, no, no. you're going to either get it or you don't. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> if not, then this movie's not for you right now. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and shockingly, uh, I had to look it up because I read that it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. Uh, and it lost Beck's picture to the artist. Oh, the artist. A French. Has anybody even seen that movie in the past however many years it's been? Uh, let's see. So 10 it, years almost? Uh, yeah, almost 10 years because uh, cause it won in the 2012 yeah, Academy Awards. Yeah, I remember Awards. when that movie came out. Small tangent about the artist. Um, I liked the idea of it. I thought it was really neat. A it, silent, it's a cool concept. A silent yeah. film in the modern era. Yeah, it was a cool concept. It's, of course, it's about a silent film, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but it, it's, its respect uh-huh. has only gone down. I like if really? someone mentions the artist, like, ugh. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I, you That's know, interesting. that happens to a lot of Best Picture winners, by the way. Um, Except for Birdman. Except for Birdman. Well, there's also lots of other examples, but um, <laughs> another great example is the movie Crash. So um, that also its its respect and its sort of uh, prestigious stature has gone way down. Oh, okay. That's I was like, what do you... Way down since mm-hmm. it won Best Picture. I mean, so I, I think, you know, people would just get swept up and it's... In its ideas and its execution, and oh. you know, and then afterwards, its like, staying power wait. never lasts. Um, the artist being a good example, and Crash being a good example. Well, and also Parasite. Parasite will never. Parasite. Yeah, no. Parasite's, Parasite's great. phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so but yeah, you know, just that. Uh, I forgot the point I was making. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, hang on, give me a second. Uh, anyway, to sum up this this segment. Yeah, nothing feels forced. Nothing feels uh, too kiddified. Mm-hmm. And kiddify. I'm going to trademark that. Kiddify. Cool. Kids bop it. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I think we unintentionally said it perfectly that Martin, uh, it, Martin's either if you get it, you get it. If not. Yeah, he's not going to, you know, and again, it's already a kid's book. No. Right? So he doesn't have to dumb it down more. Right. Not that the book is dumbed down, but he doesn't want to, you know, uh, he doesn't want to pander. He doesn't want to talk down. He doesn't want to, you know, um, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain, but there there are kids' movies out there that are just terrible because... Tom and Jerry is an example. Okay. There you go. I didn't say it, but there there you go. Um, and, And so the fact that he is maintaining this level of of artistry and this level of almost in, maturity yeah too. yeah exactly that's a great word and something i should have said <laughs> this level of maturity in a movie technically for children yeah but it really also isn't for children we watched and we enjoyed it so no yeah you know it's it's just uh, i think what it is is just that you know what's so fascinating is you would never you know martin scorsese is not synonymous with uh, family-friendly films. Yeah. You know, and then the fact that... And then this is his only PG movie. Um, Age of Innocence might also be... Uh, it's PG-13. Be. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. That's on my criterion wish list. Oh, okay. I'll find out later. Thank you. Um, but uh, it's just... It's it's just... A, it's a great movie. Uh, I do want to read the book. 
Oh, or I, maybe I don't know. I have no intention of doing. I that. may read it. I don't know. I haven't decided. <laughs> um, I do want to let's wrap up with the the final uh, montage. So yes, because what Scorsese does is so wonderful that um, as uh, as George Melier is introducing right what they're about to see, he puts on the top hat and the cigarette and, the cigarette and ducks down, and we are into real footage. This is actual Georges Melies uh, films that mm-hmm. we're watching. And he he's wearing the top hat and he's got the cigarette in his mouth. It's it's a great transition. I was you oh, know, yeah. on uh, in awe about that. I I didn't care if we even saw like the audience watching it. I yeah. just thought it would, you know, Martin would be playing the uh the films for us, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, we have those inner cuts of the audience watching and Right. Uh we should mention by this point in the film, uh, Hugo has resparked George's purpose, uh, and George working with Renee, they had tracked down only uh, tracked down at least eighty of his movies. At least of what they say in the film, they tracked down eighty of his movies and are, I'm assuming, working on restoring them is what they imply. I guess, um, and then we get this beautiful montage of. All his films of, of course, I don't know any of the titles. And then it ends with A Trip to the Moon, Mm. which like we mentioned, is that film in and of itself is sort of a character. Mm. Because it comes up, the automaton draws it, which, you know, the automaton, almost like a music box, was already set to draw that. So once they got it working, it was always going to draw. Yeah. That uh, Hugo's father had seen it. Uh, Yeah. And that's the film we see when Renee says, you know, we only one film that we know of survived. And it's, it's a good way to kind of bookend, you know, the movie with this montage and then the montage itself ending with a trip to the moon. Yeah. A great kind of bookend to this, the story of adventure and self-worth and purpose, pretty much, you Mm -hmm. know? And and then, of course, we get that kind of cathartic ending where everyone's happy now. George has become the newest faculty of the film academy. Uh, I would assume they have uh, adopted Hugo. In In a roundabout way, probably. Yeah. Um, Sasha Barrett Cohen, the train inspector now has a new brace for his leg and he's happier now. And he's with Emily Mortimer's character. Yeah. Hugo is learning magic, uh, from Georges because dope ass, uh, up magic. Yeah. Some really good sleight of hand. Um, I would say the only person in the film, uh, who doesn't have a cathartic ending really is Chloe Grace Moretz's character, Isabel. You would think that maybe her catharsis comes from... Um, Helping her godfather. Yeah, his yeah. his happiness is um, reignited, and that's really all she wants. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that she now probably gets to go see movies, because, you know, as she mentioned, makes a big deal about how she's never even seen a movie, uh, because they won't, her godparents won't take her, which, of course, we find out why. Right. But yeah, it's 
It's a great film. Yeah. Um, Martin just does a lot of great camera work. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I may read the book. I I don't know. I If you do, let me know. Because, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to read it, so I'll just let you tell me what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. Are you ready to wrap up, wrap up? Wrap up? Yes, sir. Uh, again, great film from a great filmmaker that yeah. obviously I love a whole bunch. We did a whole series on him. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, man. I mean, it's just it's dope to to see a filmmaker bring film history to a very wide audience. Right, and that's right. and that's another reason why I wanted to talk about it. Like, uh, uh, Ashley was like, "Why, why, are you, why'd you pick this movie?" And I was like, "Well, I didn't necessarily pick it because I, I mean, I, I probably would have just had a normal conversation with you, you know." on the fly about it, but like, I wanted to talk about how this film presents film history Mm -hmm. and, you know, through this fictional lens of this little boy and how one of the most prolific film creators of the 1900s, as you, as you said, you know, needed an apology and needed to be paid respect. Yeah. Correctly. Even if it was through fiction. Right. And, and, you know, and I feel like Martin and even the author of the book did that perfectly. I agree. And even as they, they are rediscovering film history for them, Mm -hmm. uh, technically the film takes place in 1931. So, uh, to us, they're seeing what we would be considering film history and, uh, it's the same year M came out. Um, and, and so like, I, for me, it was like, oh, this is film history. You know, right. their present is, you know. It's film canon. Boom. Boom. So, Jeremy. Yes, sir. What are we talking about next week? Next week, I gave you two choices, and you picked uh, you picked the early one uh, and the shorter one. So, good job. Uh, yes, because I have already <laughs> watched this director's three-hour yeah. long. Three-hour and some. It's uh, like three and a half, right? Yeah, yeah, it's long. Uh, three and a half hour long epic Uh and as I've told you, I'm interested to see more of his stuff. And yeah. I, uh, we may even do that film later on. I may pick it. Okay, cool. That'd Maybe be, not this season. That'd but. be really great. Um, so, so not necessarily a downer, but it is an interesting look at what is truth and what is lies. And ooh. this is Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon. Um, and uh, you're, you're going to like it. Yeah, really I mean, uh, did we pick the Criterion? Uh, do you want image? me to put? Do you want That'd me to? That'd be cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that poster is really cool. So. Yeah, it actually it really is. Yeah, uh, yeah so I had watched uh, everyone listening and watching. Uh, I, I had watched Akira Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurai, which is widely considered amazing. One of the, uh, you know, I think it's it's amazing, you know, and it's inspired. Filmmakers like George Lucas, Peter Jackson, uh, in terms of scale and storytelling and battle sequences, you know, the film has been reworked and retooled so many times uh, in terms of Americanizing it. You know, we have the original The Magnificent Seven, which is this. Right. And so I'm, I'm interested to see now I'm assuming Rashomon came out before this. Uh, before seven 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 yes so rush one's 1950 uh i think it's 54 okay so yeah i want to say yeah we'll look rush one's 1950 that i remember yeah 
Well, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, yeah. As, as I told you, after I watched Seven Samurai, I wanted to see more of Akira's work. And so now I have three of his films. A high and low, of course, being your second choice for me. High and low, man. Which I will watch that, too. So good. Uh, so good. But, but yeah, man. Rashomon's fine. Because I just recently watched High and Low on my own, just at my house. So it'll give me a break from High and Low, and then I can, I'll do Rashomon, <laughs> and we'll do that one later. Nice. Uh, all right, everyone. Well, we hoped you enjoyed Hugo. Uh, definitely check out A Trip to the Moon. Like, yeah. like we said, it's you can less, it. less than 15 minutes. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or buy it on iTunes for like three bucks. Or if you just want to pull a Jeremy, go buy the Blu-ray. I bought the Blu-ray. Um, so we hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next week for Rashomon.